glad to know. In spite of how things may seem to be, Jesus is victorious over it all, over sin, death, over hell, over the grave. Praise the living God. Hallelujah. So good to see you in God's house this morning. Appreciate this wonderful time of year. I look forward to this season every year. It's my favorite time of year. You can from my from around my birthday to to uh about the middle of February. That, that's my season. Everybody got a season? I, that's my season. The air's a little drier. The heat's not quite as overwhelming. There's some good football games on television. And, uh, and let's be honest, the food is really what tips it for me. I I like all the fall foods. I like the pumpkins and the squashes and the pecans. Hallelujah. So I give God praise. And I'm grateful for this opportunity to be with you in God's house. You know the deal. If you want to give this morning, you can do that of all of the usual methods or the unusual methods, whatever suits your whatever suits your purpose. If you want to give online, you can go to our website at www.dot. Don't forget the dot. The dots matter. The decimal points are important. But it's dot L H C O G F L. L H C O G F L. That stands for Lighthouse Church of God, Fort Lauderdale. All right, so you can put that in, and it's a .org. If you put .com, I don't know what will happen. Maybe the world will end. (laughs) Maybe you'll break the Internet. I don't know. But if you want to put a .org on that website, you can give. Uh, You can also download our podcasts and other uh, assorted information is there. But thank you so much for your support. We appreciate all that you do for us. We're going to open our Bibles this morning to Ezekiel chapter 37. Before I read, let me remind you to be on prayer call this afternoon, 5.30, Wednesdays at 12 o'clock. Be on our Bible study call on Wednesdays at 7.45. And then be back in the house of God next week. Reverend Fogo will be preaching for us next Sunday. I'll be taking a little trip with the wife, and we always like to try to get away for a few days this time of year. So you pray for us as we travel. God will be merciful, and uh, all the leaves will be changing colors because that's my wife's favorite thing. Amen. Hallelujah. Ezekiel chapter 37. It says, the hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the 
Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. May God's blessings accompany the reading of his word. Let me prayerfully ask you to bow your heads as we give this word to the Lord. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity once again to hear the word of the Lord. We pray that our hearts would be open, our ears attentive. We pray, O oh God, that we would be receptive and mind in spirit, that when this anointing flows through the one who speaks today, God, for you know all of his limitations, that each one will receive what you have ordained them to receive, O oh God, this inspired preserved word of God for the moment we live today. We pray that it would come alive, that it would take root, that it would bear fruit. We ask these things in Jesus' name and all the church agrees. Amen. Two weeks ago, I talked to you about the glory of God. And last week, we talked about how that glory had departed from the established place and the established traditions and the established order of that time. And today I'm going to talk to you about the restoration of that glory and how God is not done yet. And I want that to be the phrase that sits with you today. God is not done yet. If I thought for a moment that this was all there was ever going to be, if I thought for a moment this was going to be the final condition of God's people, I would surely lose hope. For if you see how things are today, there's not much to recommend. There's not much to encourage. You, you see things and the way things are going, and it seems almost pointless. You hear the questions asked. Over and over and over again, what profit is there in serving the Lord? What, what is the point of trying to live by the word of the Lord? What is the point of trying to be God's people when every hand seems to be against us? And when every circumstance of society and when every nation looks at us as almost an enemy, as almost a, something to be put away or or hidden away. When we talk about the captivity of God's people, we are talking about a, a time in, in, in the history of the world in which it seems as if all is about to be lost. But I want you to remind. I want to remind you again and again and again that God is not done yet. 
that his glory has departed for the season, that he might deal with his people, and that he might deal with them according to the to the, the corruption and the compromise that they have allowed to come into their lives and into the life of the nation and into the life of the church. But that time of dealing with God's people will pass one day. Now I say this, and I want to say this from the perspective, because in, in the upcoming weeks, if God does not change my mind, we will start to get into some prophetic things. Now I hold that, in, I hold that in under the, the anointing of the Spirit. He may take me in many different directions, so I, I don't want to promise something that he may change my mind on. But if he lets me keep going this way, we're going to get into some prophetic areas. But before we do that, we're going to have to understand at least this much. It is better to be dealt with if this is a time of judgment for the church. It is better to be dealt with by God this way than to fall under the judgment that is coming upon this world. In other words, whatever's happening to us, whatever's going on in the life of the church, it is far better than what is coming for those who are outside the kingdom of God. And so we can wring our hands if we want. We can hang our heads if we want. We can, we can be down about it because our moment that we're going through now is not a pleasant one. But it is the mercy of God to deal with his people first. Understand this principle of prophecy and understand this principle of Scripture. God always judges his people first. And what excites me is that if this is indeed the time of judging his people, it means that the time of judging the world is soon to come. Even so, Lord, come quickly. Hallelujah. And if you understand this passage of Scripture, it goes, begins in chapter 36. Now, I know you have heard the prophecy of the Valley of Dry Bones, probably much of your Pentecostal life. It is a Pentecostal staple. Because if this wasn't in the Word of God, I'd be worried. Because when I look around at the condition of God's church today, I see a valley full of bones. Dry bones. Worn out bones. And I can imagine Ezekiel, and I just want to take you for a moment to Ezekiel's perspective. What he is seeing in this valley of dry bones are the, are the remains of what was, must have been a titanic battle. And, uh, and to call it a battle is a little bit misleading because all of the bones that were in this valley of, were of one group of people. This was a slaughter. This was God's people had gone up against a force from the north, a force from the world, and been utterly and completely and totally defeated. To a man they fell. To a man, to a soldier they fell. And they laid where they were. The devastation was so complete that there was nobody left in the land to even come bury them. I want you to imagine, you, you need to understand the depths of what happens when you abandon God. The depths of what happens when you are part of God's kingdom, but you allow other things to come in. The devastation was so complete that they fell, that they, that, they, that they lay where they fell for a generation. 
long enough for the flesh to rot, long enough for the animals and the scavengers to take away every soft thing, long enough for even the sinews, even the very tendons that connected the bones together to dissolve so that the bones became disarticulated. This was laid, laid in this valley for years, neglected, forgotten, almost as a almost as a witness, almost as a testimony to what to the, and God talks about that in chapter thirty six. He says, For too long my people have been a reproach to my name. In other words, God is saying, My reputation has suffered. Because of the condition of my people, my name and my glory have been have been disfigured because my people have been such an utter and complete and total shame and reproach to me. And said, so for a season, for a generation, I let them lay out in the valley. I let every vestige of corruption be stripped away. I took it down to, you ever heard the phrase, taking it down to the bare bones? Sometimes something is so badly corrupted that there's nothing else you can do but take it down to the very foundation. You go into some of these, uh, my wife is a, is a fan of these uh, remodel shows. Uh, you, uh, you like those two, the the, the Chip and Joanna shows, the, the, the Love It and List It shows. And it's kind, of a, it's kind of a neat thing, isn't it? You go in and it just gives you all kinds of wild and crazy ideas about your own house, doesn't it? Like, man, this, they took this house and it was worth $2 and they turned it into something worth a million dollars. I bet we could do that in my house. I bet you we can't. Amen. I don't know. How, I don't know how they find these deals, but they find them. But every once in a while, the the, the one that uh, she she watches most of all is is the the. I'm sorry, my my mind is. It, it, I know it's the chick chip and go went Joe Goanna, Goanna, Joanna. What's it called? This old house. No, it's not this old house. I can't think of it. But anyway, fixer upper. Okay, fixer upper. Amen. Sometimes the wife's got to help you preach. Yeah. Yeah. And. And I've, I haven't seen all, I haven't seen all of them, but in every show, there's this one thing that I kind of like. And it's, it's the guy, Chip. And his favorite part of the deal is something called Demolition Day. Now, hey man, I'm all in on anything called Demolition Day. I, I don't care much about the foo-foo decorating that, that's her business. But my business is, we come in here to tear some stuff up. And so he'll go in and he'll look at something in, in the house and he'll say, nope, can't be saved. And he'll grab the big sledgehammer and whack, take it down. And I tell you, it's, it's fun to watch. And he'll strip it down and sometimes he'll be going through a wall or taking up a floor or pulling down the scene and he'll get everything down and he'll look at the very frame of it. And he'll say, oh, we can save that. We can do something with it. Church, let me tell you something about how God works. He only tears you down so that he can build you back up. God is not done yet. But sometimes, every once in a while, something is so 
badly damaged and corrupt, that you've got to strip it all the way down to the bare bones. And so what God has done with his people is he's left them in this valley until there's nothing left but bones. He said, because nothing, none of this old business, none of this old way of doing things, none of this old character can be saved. It's got to be a total and complete rebuild from the ground up. And he brings Ezekiel to that valley, and Ezekiel's heart must have broken to be reminded of what had happened in that valley. To be reminded, you know, it's like being taken back to, to uh, you know, I, I don't know what, when, when, when you think sometimes of, uh, of the current situations, and I'm not much on make, mixing the current politics with things like that, but I just look at, my, my heart gets broken. I have two nephews that in the armed services. One served in Afghanistan, and and to see what happened to that country after after the troops came uh, were pulled out, and and just to see it all just fall back to pieces again, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. When you think about the blood that was spilled, the lives that were lost, the 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 the, the generation of, of of young men and young women who bear the scars. Bear, who bear the, the, the wounds still, some of them coming home with, with missing arms, missing legs, and you look and you see, and it seemed like it was all for nothing. That we're no better off today than we were 20 years ago when all of this started, and it's heartbreaking. And, and you can imagine Ezekiel's mindset, God, why are you bringing me here? Yeah. All of this. This is where our people were utterly defeated and destroyed. This is where this is where we knew without a doubt that the kingdom was lost. This is where we knew that 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 whoever and whatever we are, we were, we were never going to be again. But listen to what God says to him. He says, Son of man, do you think these bones can live? Hallelujah. Where we see destruction, where we see loss, where we see catastrophe, where we see the end of something, God sees the beginning of something. We look at the death, but God looks at the life. We look at what's destroyed, but God looks at what it could be again. God is not done yet. You go through that 36th chapter, and I'll, I'll just break it down for you very quickly because I want you to understand the context. God begins to talk about how he's going to restore his people. He's going to restore the land. He's going to restore their reputation. He's going to restore their righteousness. We cannot expect the glory of God to come back until we do at least those two things, restore the reputation and restore the righteousness of God's people. How did he do that? He put them in a condition and in a place where they had no choice. Understand what the captivity of his people was all about. It was to put them in a position where they would be utterly dependent upon God. No land, no power, no wealth, nothing they could trust in. Church, we've been trusting in our own abilities and our own ways and our own power and our own wealth. And God is saying, nope, I can't work that way. I can't do it that way. I have to do it so that I get the glory. So what I'm going to do is I have to take it all away. 
I'm going to take away your buildings, and I'm going to take away your temples, and I'm going to take away your positions and your political influence and your positions of power. I'm going to take away your prosperity. I'm going to make you a captive people in a foreign land so that you will know that I am your choice. I am your God. I am your source. I am the one who keeps you. I will be your sanctuary. For too long, we, and I say we because I'm part of it as much as you are. We have been looking to everything but God. We've been seeking every resource, thinking that we've got this thing so figured out and so wired, and we've got, we know exactly how to, you can buy a million books on how to do this and how to do that, and God says, I'm wiping all of that away. Throw it in the valley of dry bones and let it turn to dust. Because that's not the way I do things. That's not the way I work. And so I've got to take my people and I've got to put them in a position where they will absolutely, fully, and completely depend on me. And so he sent Ezekiel and the captives into Babylon. And he let the valley rot. But he comes... And he takes him back. And he says, Ezekiel, I'm not done yet. I'm not done with my people yet. Once all of this has been stripped away, and all is the only thing that is left is the very bare bones. Bones not even connected together anymore, but just lying where they fell. He says, now, I love how he ends it. Now you will know that I am the Lord. Now you will know. What you're going to see next, hallelujah, will remove any doubts about who is really in control, who really sits on the throne. I'm going to do something that's never been seen before. I'm going to take a people that is completely destroyed, a people that have been scattered to the winds, a people that have been reduced to the literal bare bones, and I am going to restore them for the sake of my glory and for the sake of my name. You hear what we say all the time, but sometimes we just, we don't even understand what we say. It's not about us. It's not about us. God loves us. Make no mistake about that. God cares for us. And it breaks God's heart to see us in such a condition. But understand that everything God does in his world is not to puff us up or to make us out to be something but it is for the sake of the glory of the name of Jesus Christ. And he will not let that name be blasphemed or be a reproach or become a byword. God will intervene not to preserve you, but to preserve his own honor, to preserve his own integrity, to preserve his own glory, that this world may know that Jesus Christ is Lord that they may know that I am the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This world's going to find out that Jesus is 
Lord one way or another. And God says, I'm going to teach them. I'm going to teach the world through our experience. We get too high and mighty for our own good. He knocks us down. We become an ambassador for the world. He knocks us down. We become involved in all sorts of political and social and economic nonsense. He knocks us down. He says, you're not going to get there that way. My kingdom is not of this world. And you're not going to use the things of this world to bring it about. And it seems like to me, and Pastor, maybe this has been your experience as well. It's like every once in a while, God just has to remind us. He lets us go a certain amount. He hopes we'll turn back on our own. He hopes we'll rediscover the reality of his presence on our own. But when we go to a certain point, God says, all right, far enough. I'm knocking you down. I'm putting you in time out. I'm going to set you apart. But all these things fall off of you again so that I can bring you back in the power and in the glory of my name. And the power and the glory of my name. How does he do it? He says, first, I've got to restore your righteousness. I can't do anything. I can't do anything with a corrupt people. I'm sorry. There's no path there. There's no path of compromise with God. I don't know how often we have to see it, realize it, and understand it in our own personal lives and in the lives of our church. There's no path of compromise. Let me tell you, be careful. I'm just going to play a little, I'm going to play just a little politics for a moment because I care one way or the other. But I want to show you the error. I just want to show you the error. There's one group out there that thinks all the church is this guy in power. They had him in power. God said, no, I'm not doing it that way. I'm not doing it that way. You want to play this political game? Let me show you what kind of person he really is. Let me show you what you've married to. So, all right, oh, okay, God, we get it. That was a mistake. So what do they do? Do they learn? No. They jump on the other guy. He's the opposite of the first guy. He's the answer. God says, you're not getting this. You're not understanding what I'm telling you. The right isn't the answer, and the left isn't the answer, and the red isn't the answer, and the blue isn't the answer. The cross is the answer. And until Jesus is fully in charge, and until all your loyalty and all of your devotion is to him, I'm going to keep raising them up, and I'm going to keep knocking them down. I've been watching this. I'm old enough to remember all the way back. Without one, without Carter was the answer. Without Reagan was the answer. Without Bush was the answer. Without Clinton was the answer. We tried another Bush just to see if maybe Bush, but it was a different Bush. We tried an Obama. We tried a Trump. We tried a Biden. A couple of years, we'll try somebody else. And every time the church thinks we finally got the guy. We finally got the way. We finally got the... This is what's going to turn it all around for us. And God says, I'm not having it. Yeah. 
I will not share my glory or my name with anyone else. And if you can't make it about me, you're just going to have to get learn the hard way. And so because we've, because, and forgive the, the vulgarity here, but because we've slept with all these wannabes, God said, I'm going to put you out in front of the world as a symbol of shame. You're going to be a symbol of shame. You're going to be a mockery. You're going to be a reproach. You're going to be a joke. You're going to be a punchline. You're going to be a byword. People are going to look at you. They're going to say, ha, those people. How stupid. How foolish. But, God says, when your reproach begins to infringe on my glory, when they move from blaspheming the church to blaspheming the God of the church, when they move from God's people being a reproach to God's name itself becoming a reproach, he says, that I will not allow. And as I'm the one that took you down, so I will be the one that raises you up. Why? Because I'm not done with you yet. How many times the church has to go through this cycle? I don't know. But I know at one point, and at the end of this prophecy, and I didn't read it all, but after he has restored our righteousness, let me just let me go back to that for just a moment. I won't take too much more time. I don't know how else to emphasize this. There is no right way to do the wrong thing. You can try to sanctify. You want to say it again? I'll say it again. There is no right way to do the wrong thing. You can try to sanctify it with fasting and prayer. You can try to change all your doctrines and all your theological positions to support it. But in the end, the wrong is the wrong. And God's not going to breathe one breath on the dry bones until righteousness has been restored. Until God's people walk before him in righteousness again, everything is on hold. He will not. He will not. Go and work through unrighteous people within. He will use the unrighteous of the world. He'll raise up a Nebuchadnezzar, a Cyrus, a Trump, a Biden. He'll work through the unrighteous in the world. He owes them nothing. But his covenant people, if we want to see God move again, If we want to see his glory restored, it's going to start with restoring the righteousness and integrity of the church. That means cleaning out. This is about the place where I usually lose. Because we all can think of what somebody else needs to change. We can all point the church down the street. We can all point at the other denomination. We can say this church is doing the wrong thing and that group is doing the wrong thing. And maybe they are. Maybe they they are. Some of them doing the wrong thing. But it's got nothing to do with us. Judgment begins in the house of God. And if we want to see God's glory restored in this church, 
in our lives. We have got to see the righteousness of God restored first. Now, the good news is God says, I'm going to be the one who does it. Because your righteousness and my righteousness is filthy before God. There's nothing you just want. So when he talks about restoring righteousness, he's not talking about us just being better people. Oh, praise God, let us be better people. We should strive to be better people, but that's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is a righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ alone. And I wish I had time this morning to fully invest in what it means to have the righteousness of Christ working in you. Because we get a, we have a complete misunderstanding of what that is. We think we made a decision for Christ however many years ago. That's it. We're righteous. Good to go. Come on. They teach it that way. They preach it that way. They live it that way. But that's not the righteousness of Christ living in you. The righteousness of Christ living in us is not one decision for Christ, but a million decisions for Christ. Every day, every hour, every moment, every time we're faithful to the left or the right, we choose Jesus. Restoring the integrity of the righteousness of Christ in us is a prerequisite to the restoration of God's glory. The righteousness must shine out from our life. Through faith, through love, through a character that honors Jesus Christ. He doesn't just say, I'll forgive your sin. He says, I'll cleanse you of it. He doesn't just say, I'll I'll, I'll heal your heart. He says, I'll give you a new one. He doesn't just say, I'll resurrect your spirit. He says, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit. And my spirit will dwell in you. It's not about a mental assent or an intellectual acknowledgement. It's about a change of heart and mind that comes from the spirit of Christ himself coming to dwell within you. And And I could take an hour is to talk about all the ramifications of that. But once the righteousness is restored, what's the second thing he says you have to do? He says we have to have the faith to speak the word of life again. We have to have the faith to speak the word of life. Let me explain what I'm talking about. You know me, I'm at my heart, I'm a Bible teacher. Amen. All this other business is preaching business. I love it. I enjoy it. But for me, the meat of it is what the Lord says. We, for generations, have been preaching a gospel of death. We've been preaching words that sound good to the ears, that manipulate the emotions, that gain favor with the mighty, the powerful, the connected, but the words themselves have no life in them. We've been preaching a word. Pulpit after pulpit, church after church, house after house, the traditions of men, the doctrines of demons. Preaching a word that deals with every psychological issue and every economic issue, but never touches the heart. 
Son of man, can these bones live? What's the answer? The answer is yes, if someone will speak a word of life to them. In pulpit after pulpit today, if men and women of God would stand firm on the promise of Jesus Christ and his life and death and resurrection, it would bring life to the people. Understand, these bones don't get in this condition by accident. These men went to battle on the promises of false prophets that they would win. Imagine the assembled armies of Judah and Israel. You can read about it in your Bible. The armies of Israel and Judah come together to face the enemy. And the king says, is there a prophet? And a hundred of them run up and said, well, here, king. And the king says, how will we do today? And the prophets throw their dice, rent their clothes, cut the goats in half and delivers. And they look up to heaven and they say, the Lord says, go into battle for I am with you and I will deliver you from the hand of the enemy. And the king of Judah, I love this story. The king of Judah says, <clears throat> excuse me. Would there happen to be a prophet of the Lord around? And the king of Israel says, well, there's this one guy, but he never has anything good to say. And the king of Judah says, you know, I'd, I'd like to talk to that guy. Just, just, I'd like to talk to him. The king of Israel says, really, you won't go into battle? I've got all my prophets lined up here. They're telling you we're good to go. We're going to win. No, the king of Judah says, no. I want to talk to this one guy. I want to talk to the prophet of the Lord. All right. But I'm telling you now, he's a real downer. He's a critic. He ain't never happy about nothing. And they bring this. Now, can you imagine the pressure on this guy? Micaiah. Oh, hundreds of prophets. He's walking up. The prophet said, said, look, don't make us look bad. We done told him we're, we're good to go. We done told him the, 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 the fix is in. We done told him all is going to go well. Now you get up there and you say the right thing. Micaiah walks up there and there's the king. Now these are the kings. This is the political power. This is the wealth arrayed in their fine armor. And he says, does the Lord have anything to say? Micaiah says, well, you can go fight if you want. But he points at the king and says, but you're going to die today. And your armies are going to be destroyed. The king of Israel says, see, I told you this guy. I told you this guy. We got a thousand prophets over here saying we're good to go. But this guy, he's got to be always against us. If you know your story, you know what happened. The king of Judah thought he'd be slick. He said, well, I heard a prophecy, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to change clothes. I'm going to put one of my captains in the king's chariot. I'm going to stand over here to the side. God says, what, you don't think I can pick you out of an alliance? 
I told you if you went into this battle under the pretense of false prophets, I would kill you today. And it don't matter what disguise you wear. That's how you get these valleys of dry bones. Somebody's preaching the gospel people want to hear. But if we want to see the dry bones actually come to life, we've got to preach the word of life. The word that gives life. I'm, I'm almost done. The third thing here is the word by itself has to come. The word by itself cannot do it alone. But it has to come into agreement with the Spirit of God. Amen. Prophesy to the breath, he says. Prophesy to the wind. Prophesy to the Spirit. The Word will give form and the Word will give structure. But it is the Spirit that will give it life. Amen. Let me cut to the, to, to, to the chase here. God is not done yet. God is not done yet. Our condition may seem dry. Our condition may seem desperate. Our condition may seem like there's no point in even going on this way. But God is dealing with us first so that when we are restored, he can begin to deal with this world. And the sooner we get it figured out, the sooner he can move on and bring his kingdom around. The last thing that's restored in chapter 37 is the kingdom. The kingdom. If you keep reading after he's put the valley of dry bones, he puts David back on the throne and he restores the kingdom and the reign. Church, if we ever want to see the kingdom of God restored, we have got to go through the valley of dry bones. There's no other path. We have to go through the path that strips away everything that's not of God. Everything that's not of his purpose and his word. All of it's got to be stripped away. We've got to be cleansed from all impurities, all of the affections, all of those things that compete with our devotion to God. Righteousness restored, reputation restored, the glory restored, the kingdom restored. Let's stand together today. I believe very much I've shared it with you several Sundays now. I believe the church right now, its condition and its current state is from God. God's dealing with us first so that he can start dealing with the world through us. I don't know how far along this path we are. I don't know what else must come, but I know that God is not done. God is not done. And however things may look now, and however, whatever condition we may be in now, this is not the final chapter. But if we will restore our righteousness, our personal integrity before God, if we will recommit to the word of life, what did Peter tell Jesus? Where can we go? You alone, you alone have the word of life. You alone have the word of life. Not David Jeremiah. Not John Hagee. Not John MacArthur. Not Perry Stone. You alone, Jesus. You alone, Lord, have the word of life. Thank God for the faithful servants who relay it. 
But I tell you what, there's people today got more confidence in the guy and his name is on the book than they got in the guy who the book's about. The word of life and a move of the Spirit of God. Prophesy, he says to the wind. Oh God, today, let your people one more time speak to the wind. Come, Holy Spirit. Revive us. Restore us. Restore your glory. Let the name of Jesus Christ once again be a name of honor among your own people. Lord, we've been a reproach to your name long enough. Your church, your church is ready to be revived. This is your work, Lord. We cannot do this ourselves. This has to be your work, your spirit, your word working in us. There is no other way. All of our plans, all of our plots, all of strategies, all of our programs are end up in the valley of dry bones. Useless, worthless, pointless, ineffective. Father, we've got the biggest churches we've ever had, and we're doing the least we've ever done. The world ignores us. The world looks at us as, a, as an aberration. The world looks at us, at us as an inconvenience. Our effectiveness, our impact. Oh, God, restore your church. Restore us, oh God. Restore your glory in us. For we know that soon and very soon you're going to begin to deal with this world. And that will not be a pleasant day, oh God. But right now, in this age, in this season, you're dealing with your church. Let us hear and understand what you're doing. Let us experience whatever we've got to experience to put all of our hope and trust back in you. Make us dependent on you again, O God. Revive us. Restore us. Restore the glory of your name among us. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Righteousness does not come from our actions, doesn't come from our character. It comes from the person of Jesus Christ. You can never be more righteous. You can never experience more righteousness than what is available through the cross of Christ. So let me encourage you to come today and let us partake of that righteousness in its purest form the body and blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us cleanse our hearts. Let us cleanse our minds. Let us pray, oh God, even now, cleanse your people. Wash away our iniquity. Put our sins far away from you, as far as the east is from the west. Cast them into the sea of forgetfulness and remember them no more. 
not because of our own righteousness, but because of your Son, Jesus Christ. Make us holy, make us righteous, make us pure. Restore your righteousness in us, that your glory may be restored in your church. Father, we thank you for the righteousness of your Son, Jesus. He who lived a perfect life, he who was without sin, he whose blood had no stain, we thank you for his righteousness. For it's by his righteousness that we are justified. It is by his righteousness that we are made heirs of the kingdom of God. I pray this morning that that righteousness would come alive in every heart and mind today. Let us experience a new flood, a new flood of the righteousness of Jesus Christ in our hearts and minds. Let him be the standard. Let there be no other. Hallelujah. Father, we bless this bread today. We give thanks for it in Jesus' name. We thank you for his physical body, the body that lived, the body that ate, the body that slept, the body that bore the bruises and the stripes, the body that was pierced, the body that was stabbed, the body that was the vessel of our healing and our wholeness for this body we give thanks today we bless this bread in jesus name take and eat be made whole in christ jesus bless his holy name hallelujah Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Father, we bless this cup today. The cup of righteousness. The cup that symbolizes the blood of your Son. By his blood. We are cleansed from every stain. By his blood, we are made right. By his blood, we are justified and sanctified. By his blood, we are renewed. This blood is more to us than simply forgiveness of sin, although we're thankful for that. But it is new life, righteous life. The life of your son, Jesus Christ, renewed in each one of us. We give thanks for this cup and we bless it in Jesus' name. Take and drink. Let the life of Christ be renewed in you. Bless the Holy Ghost. Bless the name of Jesus. Bless the Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Father, thank you for not being done with us. 
Thank you, God, for the promise of revival and restoration and renewal. Do what you have to do with your church so that you can do what needs to be done in this world. Hallelujah. Does anyone have anything to share before we let you go this morning? Yes, brother. Yes, Pastor. On us church here, if we can just imagine, imagine ourselves being here in the front of the church, receiving the hand on us, prayer. For us to take the first step of repenting, all of us meet repenting for going to our, our, our prayer closet and repenting and asking the Lord to help us and guide us and lead us to that person that he wants us to be. And the ones that are listening can do the same thing. And I know our world, we know what's going on, same-sex marriage. People want to change from a male to a female, vice versa. All this crazy, stupid stuff. If we can imagine right now, Pastor, we can have hands prayed upon us or laid on us. We know, I learned power of prayer moves God's hand. And that he, we can start here in our church today, take that first step. And start over and uh, have a clean slate so we can be the church, us, Lighthouse Church of God, that God wants us to be. Amen. Mighty God, we come before you with our hearts overflowing with sorrow for the condition we've allowed ourselves to become. As a church, as individuals, for too long we have put our comforts and our conveniences on the in the way of what you are trying to do in this world. We've sought out the gods of prosperity. We've sought out the gods of power and influence. We've bowed the knee at the altars of convenience, of acceptance, of compromise. And Lord, we're sorry. And we repent. We repent, Lord. We ask your help, O God, not to be caught in the snare of the enemy. Not to be deceived by the false promises and the false prophets that tell us there's an easy path. There's a convenient way. Narrow is the way. Difficult is the path that leads to righteousness, to life everlasting. Help us, God. Renew your spirit within us. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear so we will not be deceived again. Help us, God. You are our only hope. 
You are our only hope. There is no way forward without you. Help us. In Jesus' name. Anyone else have anything to share this morning? All right, let's just remember Brother Reuben, Sister Joe, and Sister Inez. Amen. with remembering those who couldn't be with us today. Some in the hospital, some at home, recovering, some in rehabs. They'd be here if they could. Let's continue to remember them in all of our prayers and reach out to them. Give them a call. Go visit if you can. Just remind them they're still part of the body of Christ. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for these people. We ask your special touch beyond those who couldn't be here today. You see, Brother Reuben, today, oh God, the Mohan family, touch that neck right now, God. Take away the pain. Heal these bones. Heal the bones of Sister Joe and Sister Inez today, oh God. Touch them where they lay right now, God. Let these bones find strength again. Be made whole again. Keep them, oh God, in your loving care. Send your angels to minister to them, oh God. Bring them back. Restore them. Restore all those who could not be with us today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Greet one another. God bless you. Be back at the appointed hours. This has been a production of the Lighthouse Church of God. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. You are welcome to join us for service every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. and on Wednesdays at 7.45 p.m. For more information or to support our ministry, visit our website at www.lhcogfl.org or if you're in the Broward County area, we would love for you to visit our church located at 1890 Southwest 31st Avenue, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33312. God bless you. Until next time, this is the Lighthouse Church of God, lighting the way through the storms of life.